It's October 29th, 1994, and Zombie by the Cranberries is number one on the Billboard Modern Rock Chart. Hello, and welcome to Tell Me All Your Thoughts on Pod. I'm Al. I'm Trav. I'm Quillen. And this is a podcast where we talk about every song that reached number one on the uh, Billboard Modern Rock chart in the 90s, beginning with Kurt Cobain's death in April 1994. Today we'll be talking about Zombie, the lead single from the Cranberries' second album, No Need to Argue. Zombie is the first of two number one songs by the Cranberries on the Modern Rock chart, and it spent six weeks at the top of the charts. Here's a clip. guys hey hello how you doing great (laughs) happy to be here yeah uh you want to talk about the cranberries not really but (laughs) (laughs) sure that's not a good start okay well um i guess that kind of gets us started what's your relationship with this band uh not much um yeah i like salvation a lot. Salvation is the one that we've got coming up. I I think yeah. I think it's a number one uh, down the road. But yeah, uh, yeah, you're yeah. right. You're right. I yeah. love Salvation is great. Salvation's awesome. Yeah. Um, I loved that song as a kid. I, yeah. I never got into zombie. Never. Uh, you're uh, not a lingerer. Not really. No. I think uh, my wife Sarah loves <sighs> linger and. Uh, you're not yeah. a dreamer. I'm not a dreamer uh, of the. Of the berries. You're sort. not an ode to my family or I, I don't know what that is. <laughs> well, it's the first track on this album, so good oh. job preparing. Hey, I listened. I did listen to it. <laughs> Your band would be called the Dingleberries, Colin. <laughs> the Dingus Berries. Yeah, the Dingus Berries. Yeah. Uh Travis. Yes. Oh you I like the cranberries. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, I should elaborate on that. Yeah. Um, I guess I feel like they are cool. Um, I love linger linger is dare I say as good as stay. Um, linger is fantastic. Wait, stay by, by Lisa. Lisa Loeb. Loeb? Yeah. Yeah. You think, you think linger is wasting time by Lisa Loeb. Uh, I, you're confusing it with, uh, (laughs) with the Dave song. I think that's a different stay. (laughs) Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, podcast favorites stay, uh, mm-hmm, I think linger mm-hmm. is on that level. It rarefied air when it comes to, um, 90 singles. It's I'm, so I'm good. with you on linger. I love linger. It is like legitimately one of my absolute favorite songs. Um, <laughs> in space is, is radio gold. It's like, <laughs> some great audio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Linger's got like it's got a uh, some really nice jangliness to it. I think we all like jangliness. Yeah. Melody sure. is lovely. Um it's a simple set of lyrics, but they're great lyrics. 
I like the production. I like the strings. Um, it's a beautiful song. One of the treats from Spotify, uh, they they have like a genius running um, track thing where it like kind of mentions. It's like a pop up video for for songs occasionally, mm-hmm. and the one for Linger is the most fascinating one that I've experienced. Where they talk about. Uh, Dolores O'Riordan going to uh, like a club when she was like 17 and meeting a guy and they, um, you know, they connect. I don't know. And maybe they make out or something like that. And then she comes back the next week and he's with another girl and she wrote the song like about that. And it was like when when she was like a teenager and it's such a perfect song. And it was so um, I don't know. It makes me feel like it's such a like a there's a a, a level of purity to it um, coming out of that that story. Um, yeah, I'm always surprised when I hear about bands like this too, um, that the Cranberries formed without Dolores O'Riordan. Is, am I pronouncing her last name right? I've always said O'Riordan, but um, you know, Michigan, whatever. Yeah, Midwest. she's kind of an icon, so I guess we should probably yeah. know. Yeah. But yeah, they they auditioned her, and I'm always wondering in situations like this, like what 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 did you have that you felt was so special without? <laughs> fantastic lead singer. I feel like it's like the time auditioning Prince or something. <laughs> yeah. So the first album, um, every everyone else is doing it, so why can't we? That's what it's called, right? Yes. Um, that I feel like there are, um, you know, uh, hints of like the Smiths and the Sundays. Absolutely. Um, going on through that. Through that album, and I really, I really like that album. I prefer that album to No Need to Argue. Um, I felt like there are, there's more like personality from the musicians. Uh, the guitar playing is really cool, like the tones on it. Like everybody kind of has their own thing that they're doing. And then, like, you know, Dolores, like you said, she's, she's an icon, and um, what she added to the songs were, were of course, really wonderful. So it's curious that the first album and the second album have such different sounds because they are, correct me if I'm wrong, but they're both produced by Stephen Street. Yeah, I think so. Who, um, I'm I'm not necessarily familiar with this name, despite the fact on a lot of albums that I love, but um, he was an engineer on a bunch of Smiths records and then took over as producer for Strange Ways, Here We Come. And then um, a bunch of Morrissey solo... (laughs) You did it. That's your episode four resolution. It just came true. I did it. Do you think you've gone too far? I'm good. <laughs> okay. I'm trying to see how many DMB references we can get into this episode. Um, he did some Morrissey solo stuff. And then this is what I didn't know. Um, he produced four Blur albums. Modern Life is Rubbish, Park Life, The Great Escape, and Blur. Which is yeah, pretty roundabout, but yeah, go ahead. I think Trav. of him. I think of him as like a the British guy. I think he did some New Order stuff too. Mm, sounds right. Yeah, but the the first album, um, it doesn't necessarily. It definitely. So it's from 1993. There's a quick turnaround. First album's 93. The album that we're talking about today is 94. But there's a pretty big difference in the 90sification of the sound. Like, I, I think that um, everybody's doing it. The first album sounds like it could have been made in the 80s. Yeah. Like, there's a, there's a lot of reverb on the drums, and everything is a little dreamy and atmospheric. And then they tried, it seems like, to make the second album more earthy. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. That's a really, really good point. It uh, definitely has 90s production. Yeah, this album does. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Trav, do you Very like 90s. Dreams? I'm good with Dreams. Are you are you referring to Dreams or Dreaming of Dreams? What's the song <laughs> on this album that's about Dreams? That's oh, dreams? I didn't notice that there's another Dreams song. Yeah. It's an excellent I, song title. Dreaming My yeah. Dreams. <laughs> dreaming mm-hmm. My Dreams, which is not about Dreams. Different song. Hmm. Dreams, yeah, Dreams is just just sort of fine for me. Um, I, I, you know, there are worse songs that have like sort of transcended into pop culture, like twenty five years later, like it's in car commercials and stuff like that. Like, I'm fine with that. Yeah, it's no linger. Um, I became familiar with dreams. I didn't look up this research to make sure I'm not just dreaming this, but I believe that it was on the Mission Impossible soundtrack. Which dreams? came, yeah, I, I'm <laughs> almost positive. And um, friend of the podcast, Stefan Dahmer, had the Mission Impossible soundtrack. And believe it or not, we used to go, I used to go over to his house and we would go down in his basement and we would dance to the Mission Impossible theme song. <laughs> Was that with uh, Larry Clayton and Adam Mullen? Probably. It probably was updated in some way. It was yeah. not the Fred Durstified uh, Mission Impossible one. Wait, did I, I? I think I mixed up the first names of, of the band members. It's some U2 people that got involved? Yeah, the, the, the rhythm section of U2. Yeah, um, so Adam, Adam, Adam Clayton, Clayton. And Larry Mullen Jr. Um. So the song we're discussing is not Linger or Dreams or Salvation. No. We're talking about Zombie. Yeah. I went in with a negative attitude, and the process of preparing for the podcast improved my attitude a fair amount. Wow. Why? Um, well, you know, even the way that we ended our last episode, I was being a little snarky about anti-war songs. Just kind of like, you know, I think we can all agree, like, yeah, war bad. Like, I think that even George W. Bush and Donald Trump would probably say war bad. But I don't tend to find a lot of meaning in anti-war songs these days. I think I did when I was 17, but I I don't now. Hmm. Well, I think we should put this in context and let's go from there. So why don't you all finish saying what your initial impressions of the song are? Uh, For me... um... First impression uh, when I um, listened to the album um, and spent some time with with Zombie, I, I had never listened to the album before, um, and it. I think that there are legit good songs on it. Um, I don't uh, know that any of them felt more singly than this. Like I feel like to me, like this does seem like um, the obvious single. Um, and also uh is this of of uh all the songs that we've covered so far is this the first song that actually has the um uh quiet loud or you know loud quiet loud like dynamic that we've kind of uh touched on with the bubble uh bubble grunge um myth um I, feel I would like... say selling the drama is mildly loud, quiet, loud. You think? Yeah. 
It's a country song, and then it and then it uh, and then it starts rocking. I guess so, but that's like, I guess like it starts quiet, but then is kind of ramped up for the rest of the song. This is like back and forth. Yeah, and I guess that's what I always um, that's that's how I was interpreting the um, dynamic. Um, with like um, no chord changes about. too, right? I mean, isn't it the same four chords like over and over? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, literally it the same thing over and over. Oh, yeah. And it gets I, I didn't gets, notice you know, that. Distorted and then it's not distorted. Right, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. I just thought it was interesting that yeah, like to me this was like the one that it stuck out as like, oh yeah, this is here is an example of what we've um referred to in other episodes that i we haven't really gotten into much yet let me take that ball and run with it for a second i I have a couple of books that i've kind of consulted throughout the process of preparing for this podcast this is the 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 day alternative music died very melodramatic title by adam caress and a lot of his kind of central thesis is the idea that um, around this time period in 1994, we'll talk about this a whole lot more in the next episode, that the um, sort of the movement or the scene of alternative crystallized into an alternative genre that was sort of like a... um, So basically there was a non-conformist alternative scene that turned into a conformist alternative genre. And uh, this is how he puts zombie into context. The National Network of Alternative Radio Stations was quick to embrace the new alternative genre, and by the end of 1994, every song in the K-Rock year-end top 10, which had always been notable for its diversity of musical styles, was in the grungy post-Nirvana mold. The same was true at Chicago's Q101, Boston's WFNX, San Diego's Etc., and other influential alternative radio stations across the country. And in the midst of this increasingly homogenized alternative radio environment, most of the veteran bands from the alternative scene who managed to hang on commercially did so by following the trend and beefing up their sound. For instance, the Cranberries traded in their jangly, melodic sound of their debut single, Linger, for the angry distortion of their late 1994 hit, Zombie. Similarly, R.E.M. left behind the muted southern understatement which had been their trademark in favor of the muscular electric guitars that defined their 1994 album, Monster. Both albums went platinum that December. I don't think that that's a fair description of Monster, um, but Zombie does feel a little bit like it's... um, This album, I think, suffers from moving t- more towards what was fashionable on alternative rock radio in 1994. Yeah. I was going to say, I, I do think it's easy to be cynical about how grungy this song is um, in 1994. Um, the main difference between the first album and the second album to me, and maybe, you know, I hadn't actually considered this, but Al, you mentioned that, um, that there were bands before they brought Dolores in to, to sing like, the first album, they had these songs and everybody, you know, the guitar and the bass and the drums were active enough that whatever was added to them was like a bonus. Um, on No Need to Argue, it sounds like 
it was the music is just a platform for Dolores to sing for her vocal performances mm. and her melodies, which are great, but there's just not as much happening. It's just sort of like, let's leave it open and vague and the singer will carry us through. There's some evidence that they weren't just going with the flow. They, they had signed to Island. There was like a, a slight bidding war for this band. Um, and their manager was this guy named Alan Kovac. And in Rolling Stone, he said that when the time came around to start promoting this album, um, Island tried to give them money to record a, another different, less politically sensitive single. Like there was pressure from the record label to do something that was apolitical. And according to this anecdote from the manager of the Cranberries, Dolores O'Riordan tore up the check. And so that's when I, I like that story. I don't know 100% if it's true, but it makes me look at this less as a conformist and maybe slightly bland sentiment and makes me see it as something that's more challenging the institutions of rock music at that moment. So this was a manager who was trying to promote his, the band that he manages uh, by telling a story about how much integrity they have. I think that he told this story more recently where there wasn't, it's probably more trustworthy as a primary source. It was a million dollars, right? (laughs) It really was like, I, I, I'd seen the same anecdote and it said it was a million dollar check. That she ripped up. Um, Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I wish I wasn't so cynical about all this stuff, but I really, (laughs) I just really am. Um, This is so serious, right? Yeah. The kid, like kids getting bombed, like two kids dying from like being bombed from like this conflict in uh, like over Northern Ireland. Yes. Um, it's kind and this of is not the only song on the album that's about children dying. Yeah, man, they really like that's no fun. I think that's yeah. the kind of thing that like people hate you too for, right? Like <laughs> the, the, being overly so, serious. So, yeah, yeah, I think so. And I mean, I don't know. I don't necessarily think of Cranberries as like a fun band, but like, geez, lay off a little bit, right? <laughs> Well, it seems like they're pushing back against the idea that they're a simple-minded little youthful romantic. Yeah. Diddy makers. Maybe so. Maybe so. So um, what Travis is referring to is um, uh, songmeanings.com was actually very helpful here. The, the 1916 reference is key. Um, 1916 in Ireland, there was something called Easter Rising which was an Irish rebellion against the British in which 485 people were killed. And uh, this song is directed more towards uh, something that happened in 1993 in Cheshire, England, um, some bomb attacks by the IRA in which two children were killed. Um, so in this case, I guess I am thinking that the zombies are people who I guess unthinkingly go along with the violence or are bystanders in the violence. But um, altogether I was, I was a little moved by (laughs) the story of, I don't know. She's a young person. She's idealistic and 
and she's responding to what she sees and uh sounds like you know the band has some integrity and that might all be their own pr but um it's gonna boost my rating at least half a half a unit i wish my heart wasn't so hard that i could feel the same (laughs) i would say the same what's your opinion of um yodeling and pop songs it's like an Irish thing, right? I mean, I Is can't it? think of other examples other than like maybe Van Morrison. Uh, I was does... mostly thinking of Kate Bush when I was thinking of examples. Oh. Does Van Morrison yodel? I mean, he does some weird stuff. He croons, right? He croons, but he also like, he kind of rambles and mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he, 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 he goes off on his tangents. He almost like white man scats. <laughs> oh yeah, he's got his la ti da la ti da la ti da la ti da la da 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 da. Yeah, yep. he's got I don't know why. I th- feel like I found a way to talk about Kate Bush in every single episode of our podcast, and she has nothing to do with our podcast. But <laughs> That's fine. Um, of course, in Zombie, there's like the eh, 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 yeah, oh, yeah. all that. Yeah, and I was thinking about about Kate Bush's sort of nonverbal vocalizations. And for the first time I realized, and Hounds of Love, they're actually arfing. Did you ever notice that? They go, No, I thought that, I thought that that was like a synthesized, like a synthesizer playing those notes. No, I, I, there, there's definitely vocalist (laughs) arfing. Like hounds. Yes. Like hounds. (laughs) Of love. (laughs) Yes, oh, of boy, love. I don't want to hear this anymore. <laughs> and there's more There's more in Cloud Busting, and there's more in uh, Big Sky. Oh, boy. That's, and I uh... think it's wonderful when she does it because there's, like, everything about Kate Bush is just, like, unrestrained emotion and creativity without any self-consciousness. I, I, I am irritated by it in Zombie. It reminds me of um, Andy Bernard in The Office singing uh, Zombie. As like the most annoying person in the world, um, like that's when I was when I was listening to this song for this episode, I was like, oh god, it just sounds like Andy Bernard <laughs> irritating everyone. This is our first female-fronted band. Yeah. Crazy. Um, I have some stats about women in the charts Yeah, in the 90s. So on the modern rock chart, we're going to be doing 71 episodes in our spree here from April 1994 to December 1999. Um, so we'll be doing 71 episodes. Nine of them will be about female-fronted bands. Um. And most of them are Alanis Morissette. There's a fair amount of repetition. We've <laughs> yeah. got Cranberries, Alanis. Can you think who else we're going to be talking about? Uh, no doubt. No, no doubt. Oh. Nope. Uh, Tracy Bonham. Tracy Bonham. That's great. Two other Excited fairly major ones. Hmm. Uh, garbage. Okay, yeah. Whole. And I was charitable, and I included Chumbawamba in our 9 out of 71. Yeah. 
Um, mainstream rock chart from April 1994 to December 1999. <laughs> how many female fronted acts? I'll go with zero. Zero I, is the answer. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I was yeah. going to say like uh, four. Yeah, is no. that a difference between the 80s and 90s? Was there like a masculine energy that became too prevalent to to dislodge must have been right i mean like i you know yeah i I think of the 80s especially like the alternative scene in the 80s at least as i understand it there was a lot of um you know there was an emphasis on like some some androgynous sort of like aspects Mm -hmm. of like how the the bands and the artists were presented um and yeah i mean especially like the mainstream rock like that got got harder like i mean i guess to be fair if you would look at the mainstream rock of the 80s it's probably hair metal where it's super like masculine but also while they're wearing makeup but that right. who knows what was going on there i can't that's a whole right podcast, wearing right? makeup so. to get chicks yeah yeah um so I, yeah I, I don't know yeah um pop chart I didn't take note of how many total pop songs are number one in between April 94 and December of uh, 99, 31 female-fronted acts. So it's interesting. I mean, I, I feel like uh, women with guitars are um, receiving a lot of attention from the press right now. and They're there is very something, popular now. There's yeah. something that, that feels inherently edgy even now about a woman with a guitar and when you put it in context, when you really put it in perspective and look at the history of it, you can understand why it still feels refreshing and urgent to hear yeah. rock bands fronted by women. Yeah. And it is kind of nice to be able to go back. Like they're, they're there. The women, yeah. women fronted bands are there from like this era. And unfortunately they're kind of buried, but like it, it you know, there's so much to discover about what mm-hmm. was happening then. Like there was a lot of great female fronted stuff. Yeah. Um, from the time. Anything about the music video? Not really. I just watched <laughs> yeah. it and it was just kind of like, Ugh, whatever, you know, again, like <laughs> the one thing I noticed, you know, looking this up was that it was the sixth video from the 20th century to have more than a billion views on YouTube. I saw something like that wow. too. Like, why? I, I Because the other thing, so the other five are November Rain, Sweet Child of Mine, Smells Like Teen Spirit, Take On Me, and Bohemian Rhapsody. And that strikes me as like, kind of like Target branded, um, like Target the store branded kind of like kid <laughs> uh, stuff, yeah. where it's like this broad sort of brand. Yeah, you can get cool vintage band t-shirts. That's Target. right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I just don't know how Zombie fits in with that. That's kind of weird. That's curious. We already talked a little bit about the album. This album went seven times platinum. Uh, I think we've already discussed the fact that we all prefer the first album. I've never listened to it. Okay. I do. The other singles did not do particularly well, and I was not even aware that they were singles. They're Ode to My Family, which is track one, and that peaked at number 11. Um, 
I Can't Be With You, which didn't chart, and Ridiculous Thoughts, which charted at number 14. Any, uh, anything in the album stand out to you? Yeah. Um, well, first off, I feel like uh, Ridiculous Thoughts, the song title, uh, sounded familiar to me. Like, I feel like I remember that being a single, but it did not sound like the music did not sound familiar to me when listening to the album. Um, but yeah, I, um, I thought there were, there are a couple standout tracks. Um, I really like disappointment. Um, really, uh, really good melody, great drumming on it. Um, hilarious usage of splash symbol. Oh my um, God. Which is uh, just yes. <laughs> uh, splash symbol is arguably worse than China symbol. Um, was there China it on it also, or was it just? Splash? Oh, that's possible, but I only noted that there was splash symbol. It was like it reminded me of like the splash symbol accents in uh, No Excuses. Um, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, hilarious. But yeah, <laughs> I, I think that that was a really good song. I like Ridiculous Thoughts um, and uh, Daffodil Lament uh, was a good song too. Um, the second half of it kind of sounded Christian-y a little bit, but uh, hey, you know. <laughs> That's your metric. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, and, and emo. Like, I, I feel like there were some emo chords there, also in uh, Ridiculous Thoughts, too. Um, but uh, yeah, I I definitely think there are better songs than Zombie on this album, for sure. Um, did, you, did you guys recognize Ode to My Family as a single? Like, mm-hmm. you're familiar with that? I didn't know whether I remembered it from my youth or from just listening to it on the way to work. Yeah. No, I definitely remembered it as like a prominent single. The other two I did not recognize at all. I did like mm-hmm. what was the second song, um the 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 other single. I think is, that's uh, I can't be with you. Yes. That was pretty good. Um uh-huh. and that was the first time I'd I'd heard it. It was good. Hey, hey Trev. Air. Why did you laugh at me when I said that I liked Daffodil Lament? Uh, I laughed at the title. I laughed at you saying the title. You specifically, because it seems like something that you um, would appreciate uh, as a song title. (laughs) (laughs) It might be the second or third best song title on the album. Okay. Oh, really? After Dreaming My Dreams. Well, Dreaming My Dreams is certainly the best (laughs) song title. Of course. Ridiculous Thoughts, I think, is a pretty great song title, too. Good, good. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Do you have anything else to say about Stephen Street? No. He produced some uh, important British music. Yeah, I actually... I'm, I'm fascinated that the same producer worked on um, those three early Blur albums and on the self-titled one. I would have thought mm. that they would have just gotten a clean slate to work on the self-titled album because it's such a, a left turn from everything they'd done before. Um, I would have thought that they would get, I don't know, someone uh, more American, more, more, more indie. But um, that's curious, and it shows off his versatility that uh, he was able to make that transition with the band. I am a big Blur fan, but not necessarily a big Blur Britpop fan. My interest in Blur starts to really grow around the time of the self-titled album, and uh, I love the self-titled. The self-titled album and 13 are the peak of Blur to me, but I do like The Great Escape. I don't 
really like park life very much. I'm almost exactly the same because of uh, your guidance. Uh, you made me a good <laughs> blur playlist once, which was really helpful. And uh, yeah, like that, that self-titled album through Think Tank, which I love. I love Think Tank. Um, but prior to that, it's a different band uh, prior to the self-titled album. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a good band. It's a fine band. Um, but I prefer the, um, the pavement influenced, uh, American indie art rock. Yeah. Um, it's like, like there's like a transition from kinks being the primary influence to, to something like pavement being yeah. the primary influence. Yeah. Is Park Life the one with the dog running on the cover? Yes. Al, I do, and I do love Park Life. I don't, I don't love it. I, I like Park Life a lot. I think that's probably the best of the Britpop albums for me. Al, didn't you love Park Life at one point? No, I've never liked no. Park Life that much. Um, there's something a little, uh, a little precious about some of the songs. Things like Tracy Jacks. Um, that's just, a, it's just a little too sugary and a little too cutely British. For some reason, I, I think that Modern Life is rubbish. Or sorry, um, I think that The Great Escape is pretty similar. But for some reason, there's something thematically about The Great Escape that really hits me. And I think that part of it is. I always think of the image on the back of the record, which is they're all dressed up like they're accountants. And um, the album is simultaneously mocking and sympathetic of sort of like um, yuppie 90s British office workers. Um, the final track, Yoko and Hero, is one of my favorite Blur songs. And it's just a beautiful pop song that I, again, I think is simultaneously sincere and satirical about two people who are always working and never see each other. And uh, I think it's really, really beautiful. And I wish that more bands, I know that bands don't, they're, you know, bands that make it aren't weekend warriors. You know, they're not people who work office jobs and then, and then tour on the weekends, but that's what uh, I'm in a band and that's what my band does. <laughs> and that's what a lot of bands that I'm friends with do. And I always appreciate it when I, I don't understand why sort of like the white collar business world is not more of a focus of the world of pop music, because probably at least 50% of your audience are white collar workers. And I know that they probably, maybe most people don't want to listen to songs that are about working in an office, but I feel like in the same way that I always appreciate that songs have like proper nouns or they talk about specific businesses or places that people go to. I really like it when bands are willing to address the unromantic details of middle-class life. And that I feel like is a gap that I've tried to fill with my own songwriting and people are not exactly chomping at the bit to <laughs> listen to it. <laughs> and with Blur, it's, it's almost, it's a different world. I mean, I think like the English middle class is like, they have very distinctive like um, concerns that um, mm -hmm. don't necessarily like cross over to, uh, to the U S and the same thing with the kinks. I mean, the kinks were doing the same thing and um, you know, it's interesting um, it doesn't necessarily like, like I don't relate to it, but I can still appreciate it. Well, let's take a quick break 
and then we'll move on to the charts. Um, this is definitely an Alec heavy episode. No, yeah. it's great. I didn't necessarily feel that way. I was okay. going to um, ask, we, we didn't talk about this, but there was a cover of this song that was like number one on the mainstream rock chart for three weeks what? in 2018. I didn't oh. want to bring it up because I figured you guys might not have, have looked into it. But it is nope. like it was a very popular thing that I've heard on the radio on rock radio, and it fucking sucks. <laughs> there is a reference to drones. They changed the lyrics to include drones, oh and they changed... oh with their drones, <laughs> like that. Yeah, and their cyber warfare. Yeah. They changed uh, <laughs> since 1916 to in 2018, um, and uh, yeah, they they dropped it four days. After Dolores died. Oh, um, Jesus. Wow. And so they were like, well, we'll just turn around and like um, give her kids the money, which was like a, a cool thing to do. But like, I think one of the members of the Cranberries was, I think the, I wrote a quote. It was like, uh, I feel like that's insensitive or something. Hmm. Which, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Who they, had it. they were, They were supposed to like, like she was supposed to sing on it, I guess. Oh God! Who is the band? Bad Wolves. Bad Wolves. Never heard of. Bad Wolves. Yeah. There's also um the song was sampled on an Eminem song from like the last three years called In Your Head, and guess what? It also fucking sucks. <laughs> Just like anything Eminem has done in the last you know whatever however long since he became an adult. Uh. What what part is sampled? Guess. Just the it's chorus? It's called In Your Head. <laughs> Just the chorus, that's it? Or yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. Dumb. Uh, elsewhere on the modern rock chart, a couple things that I noted that uh, I thought were worthy of mention. Veruca Salt's Seether is at number 10. Cool. Which is cool. That is also all I have to say about it. <laughs> cool. Yeah, cool song. Cool band. Cool band. Um, the Cowboy Junkies cover of Sweet Jane is at number 13. That's something that I always remember listening to, and I never really looked further into Cowboy Junkies, but um, that song always had a great feel of, you know, just like four people in a room playing music, and it's uh, it's got a really nice vibe. So I'd be curious, actually, to take a look into more Cowboy Junkie stuff. Yeah, um, I, I feel like it's sort of consistent with the, the, the things that I've listened to, which I think was that album. Is it called The Trinity Sessions, maybe? It's some, the something Sessions. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it just kind of sounds like that very like um, laid-back, uh, dreamy, kind of slowcore um, thing, like Mazzy Star or something. It's pretty mm -hmm. pretty cool. Speaking of Mazzy Star, uh, "Fade Into You" is at number seventeen. Still great, and that's gonna that's gonna peak at number three. And I think pretty much everybody can agree on that song. Yeah, incredible. Um, I'm. Uh, are, are we still talking about "Fade Into You"? Yeah, yeah. I think that song is overrated. 
Oh, I'm not, well, I'm not a fan. I don't think you're going to find much sympathy on the internet for that no. position. That's fine. That's fine. You're, you're a bad uh, person. Can I comment on some uh, sweet jams that I'm seeing? I suppose. Fell on Black Days at number 31 by Soundgarden. Great. Uh-huh. And Bad Reputation by Freddie Johnston at 33. I don't, Have we talked about Bad Reputation? I, uh, gosh, I thought that we had talked about it because I meant to say, I feel like that song's not very well known. Travis put it on a mix for me probably a decade ago. But, um, yeah, if you don't know Bad Reputation and you need a little breezy kiss on the cheek for your day, um, definitely take a, take a gander at that it one. It is so good. Uh, I think my introduction to that song was uh, seeing Death Cab for Cutie live in, uh, I think it was like maybe 2005. And they played a cover of it. What? Yes. Was I with you? Uh, yes. Um, what? Travis, I, I don't think remember it was, this at all. I think it was the Clutch Cargo show with uh, Travis Morrison opening. What? Yeah. Wow. It was also, I think it was in Dumb and Dumber and Kingpin. Oh, Whoa. wow. That's insane. <laughs> hmm. I didn't take any notes on that, but. That seems like a bit much. Two Fairly Brothers. Movies. I know. I thought the same <laughs> thing. It's either <laughs> so. It's. I think it's either Bad Reputation or If You Don't Love Me, I'll Kill Myself by Pete Droge. Uh, I recently looked into the Pete Droge thing, and it's only in Dumb and Dumber. Okay. It's in Dumb and Dumber, not in Kingpin. Okay. Well, I... I'm pretty sure that Bad Reputation is on the Kingpin soundtrack. This is one of the most contentious things we ever discuss on our podcast is what comedy soundtracks these songs are on. Uh, I'll look into it afterwards, and if I have to make an apology, so be it. Yeah. All right. Uh, the song rules, though. Uh, that's yeah. a good song. Yeah. The only other thing that I had noted was that Shine exited the modern rock chart and then re-entered. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's at... Uh, Number 39. It had peaked at number four. And it was also a number one on the uh, on the mainstream rock chart. Um, hang on. Let me just, just, it feels like tradition now. Let me cue it up. Okay. Um, mainstream rock chart, the number one is still Interstate Love Song. Okay. Which uh, we, we sort of had a mild disagreement about. And the pop chart, uh, we are transitioning from one Boys to Men song to another. To the superior so Boys it, to Men song, in my opinion. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. oh. It's been I'll Make Love to You for weeks and weeks, and now we're switching over to On Bended Knee. Yeah. On Bended Knee is awesome. It that is, is a, a Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis song, I think, from the time. And they like that song. It you know any song that starts with that like synth bass, whoom, like uh like keyboard run, awesome. You know you know you're in for a ride. Um, Unbended Knee is an A plus song. I loved that song when I was a kid. I loved Unbended Knee so much. Uh, also, Water Runs Dry is uh, also incredible. Yeah, yeah. Those Baby were face. like. Did Those were two awesome, yeah. two awesome Boys to Men songs. Let's rate this thing. Yeah. Um, 
uh, an amusing anecdote. I, I think that I had always just been confused by this before, but now it's crystallized into a fun fact. The All Cranberries releases have the same brown couch on their album covers. Wow. So they have carted this brown couch around with them from place to place so that each album cover can feature the brown couch. <laughs> oh, wait. No, not all the brown. Not, not all the album covers because there's the one with the weird eye. Well, many of their releases feature the brown couch. So um, I came into this with a negative attitude towards the song. Now I have a mildly positive attitude towards the song. I still don't have my, – my visceral reaction is not entirely positive. So um, I'm going to give this one 3.5 out of 5 brown couches. So I had kind of the opposite experience. I thought I like the zombies. Um, I must like the zombies. You like, I the, like zombies? the zombies? You like a little Odyssey and Oracle? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I like the cranberries. I must like zombie. Um, but that wasn't the case. In fact, I thought that uh, I thought zombie sounded like kind of a crappy uh, rockin' in the free world. Um, like I kind of <laughs> <laughs> like it. It sounds like that. It has the same thing, but like uh... except it cares too much. So for that reason, um, I I just didn't like it. You know, and there's no changes. It's just the same four chords over and over again, um, despite the good vocal performance um i give it 1.75 um and i should say in 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 light of the connection to rocking in the free world 1.75 babies in a garbage can Whoa. harsh not very good uh i uh i don't think it's the worst song uh in existence um, I don't think it's the best song in existence. I think it's about exactly in the middle. Um, I think it is like the definition of mediocrity. Um, so I give it 2.5 out of five of my dreams that I dreamed. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, well, oh, oh, hold up. Do we think that this is uh, a Nirvana wannabe? Yup. Yes. <laughs> Strong agree. Yeah, I think that the, the direction of the band was maybe negatively affected by the desire to fit in with what was on the radio at yeah. the time. I I think the, the mildly unfashionable sounds of the first album are superior in retrospect. Sure. I, I don't I, I don't know that I would consider the album as a whole uh straight up Nirvana wannabe territory but this song absolutely hey tell me all your thoughts on pod is now part of the off-shelf family of music media outlets you should sign up for their email list where you'll receive their monthly zine that's at offshelf.net and you should subscribe to our sibling podcast best song ever Okay, well, you can email us about upcoming songs at thoughtsonpod at gmail.com. <laughs> email us a question, and we'll discuss it at our earliest convenience, or send us comments, memories, corrections, and complaints. <laughs> if you send comments <laughs> as a voice memo, 
<laughs> We'd love to include them at the end of the show. You can listen along with our podcast, our playlist on Spotify, Apple Music, or watch along on YouTube. And uh, next week, I don't know about you guys, but I'm excited to be hearing some more about spirituality from Ed Kowalczyk and the boys again. Uh, it's the album Nirvana Unplugged <laughs> by Live. Uh, take it easy, people out there. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>